Hello, I'm Anthony Brown and welcome to Privacy and Data Talks, the podcast dedicated to bringing you news, views, insight and opinion from privacy and data leaders around the world. Thank you for tuning in. Now, please sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello there. Uh, I'm Anthony Brown, and uh, I'm very pleased to welcome you to a, uh, another episode of my Privacy and Data Talks podcast uh, today. Uh, I'm delighted to have a very, very special guest with me. Um, I have uh, Vivian Art from Refinitiv. She is Refinitiv's uh, Chief Privacy Officer. Um, as many of you listening and watching will know, Vivian's been uh, recognised as a thought leader in privacy uh, in the community for well over a decade. Um, alongside her role as CPO at Refinitiv, uh, she also somehow manages to cram in being the president of the Women in, in Banking and Finance since 2017, and is also the treasurer, treasurer, I should say, on the executive board at the IAPP. Um, and as if that isn't enough, uh, very recently, uh, Vivian was awarded the 2020 Women Solicitor uh, of the Year Award at the Law Society's Excellence Award. So um, I'm not sure how you fit all this in, Vivian, but um, absolutely fair play. Um, good morning, and how are you? I'm fine, actually. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much, Anthony, for inviting me to speak today. I'll just shift a little bit to the left, and you see that little curly thing? That's actually the Women um, Solicitor of the Year Award from the Law Society, so I have it behind me, which is great. Um, I also forgive my distraction, but I also have to hand Brutus. Um, so okay. COVID-19 means that you need to take a special interest in all things related to the home. And my daughter rescued Brutus the pigeon um, when he fell out of his nest. He's a late bloomer. He was born in October, which is ridiculous. And um, anyway, he uh, uh, needed rescuing because his nest was blown out the tree. And so we're hand raising Brutus the pigeon. So I get to look after him during the day while she is at school. So anyway, well, um, lots of distractions a, and things going on. Quite a, a fine specimen, if I may say, Vivian. Um, so let's add that to the list, shall we? And, and amongst all of these, uh, you know, very important roles that you're you're in the middle of, uh, you're also caring for a, a pigeon as well. So uh, hats off, hats off to you. Um, uh, but no, I've never had a pigeon on the show and uh, I'm sure I never will. Um, so it's great to meet Brutus. It's even better, I might say, to, to you know, have you on the show. And thank you so much for, for your time in advance. And um, obviously, uh, again, for anyone that knows you, Vivian, will know that you've been um, uh, you know, central to the privacy community for many years, and you've spent um, 17 years at Citibank um, as the general counsel, uh, managing director, focused on privacy during your time there. So, I, I mean, it's a little difficult to know where to start today in terms of questions for you, but perhaps... Um, I wanted to take you back, if I can, maybe to the very start of your career and um, maybe get a glimpse, some insight into you, um, you know, how it all began for you. And, and, and I guess specifically in there as well, what really drew you towards privacy, um, you know, uh, in the early days, which and privacy looks quite different than it does today, perhaps. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Well, I think it's good to start at the beginning, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, when I started off, um, when I eventually decided on a career in law, 
Um, it certainly wasn't in relation to privacy because it wasn't really much of a feature at all. Um, and I wanted to do something that was modern and that was interesting and that was going to evolve. And so I decided I was going to be a technology lawyer. And uh, that was my passion was uh, to be a technology lawyer. And as a technology lawyer, one of the things that popped up as a newly qualified lawyer was the um, uh, European Directive on Data Protection in 1995. And as a junior lawyer, you get to do everything. And as there was no department to deal with privacy, it kind of fell to the tech lawyers because it had the word data in it, data protection, therefore the techie people ought to know something about it. Um, and so it fell to us in the technology legal team to do a presentation for our clients to understand what is this new directive and what does it mean for us. Of course, remember that in the UK, we've had data protection since 1984. We had the Data Protection Act, and this was obviously the European directive that really um, made for an absolute sea change in this area and moved things forward at quite a pace. So I was commissioned as a junior to um, prepare part of the presentation for our clients. And so I read about data protection and I thought, oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine anything more bureaucratic and cumbersome and artificial than the EU directive. I just felt, you know, it just, it was so process driven. Um, and I just, it didn't, it did, I have to say, it did not resonate. And so there were a couple of people who were dead enthusiastic on, on data protection. I thought I'd leave it to them and I'd continue along the technology line. So I ignored data protection um, and I moved forward on technology and was pursuing my career. I moved uh, three different law firms actually before I went in-house and I went in-house to Citibank. Uh, absolutely thrilled to be head of um, technology legal there and was looking forward to focusing on electronic trading systems and all things data related and data protection ended up in my lap and I was like oh my goodness so where did this come from but there was nowhere else for it to go and as a technology lawyer really it says data in the name so it ought to sit with you so data protection came and sat with me together with all of the commercial stuff and so I find I had to find somebody to do data protection and at the moment there was nobody but me so I I embraced it reluctantly. What year um, would this be? Sorry to interrupt, Vivian. What year would you say this would have been then around approximately? About 2000. Right, okay. Wow. Yeah, so about 2000. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, because I mean, we'd all been interested in the millennial bug, hadn't we? That was far yeah. more exciting than data protection. <laughs> and we all managed to get through the new year without a, a bug occurring. I did, I, I did not volunteer to do the all-nighter and have nothing to drink. I actually celebrated the millennium in style. <laughs> thought, well, <laughs> the last thing you're going to want to need as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Let the techies deal with this one. Um, <laughs> So yes, and then you know, part of my role was to join all these industry bodies. So I tried to find somebody who'd pick up on the privacy side. And then I joined a couple of the industry bodies to represent Citibank. And I joined LIBA, which was the London Investment Banking Association. It's now AFME. And I joined the BBA. And then they are surrounded by all these experts who were looking at data protection. And, but they were looking at it from a completely different lens. They were looking at data protection from a policy perspective and from an advocacy perspective. And suddenly, my interest was piqued. Um, and it wasn't about the compliance and the operationalization. It was actually about what does this mean? What is the impact for the business? Is this good or bad? 
Um, and how do we influence change? And suddenly this rebirth of actually, this is really interesting. And if I put, and I refer to it as having a privacy lens, if I put my privacy glasses on and look at the world through the privacy lens, it, it's actually very different. And it's fascinating, uniquely fascinating. So I decided that was it. I'm going to embrace data protection. And frankly, I've never looked back. It was the best thing I ever did. Um, and now I'm the Chief Privacy Officer at Refinitiv, and it's it's hugely exciting. And what makes it so exciting is that it has both a personal and professional impact. So data protection applies to businesses and it applies to individuals and it applies to society. Um, and the thing I love about it as well is that it brings in themes which are philosophical, ethical, as well as business related, and it touches every aspect of our lives. And then the other part of it, which was a tremendous opportunity that I had at Citibank, was to realize that it went well beyond the UK. It was multi-jurisdictional. So obviously in 2000s, it was you know a handful, probably 30 or 40 countries that had uh, data protection legislation. Now two thirds of the world has uh, data protection uh, legislation, but the international impact and opportunity was clear. Mm. So that was my journey to data protection. Wow, fantastic. So, um, and I, I just wanted to note as well, actually, I know that um, for as long as I specialized in this area myself as well, which is quite a few years as well, maybe not as many as you, but um, um, I've always recognized you. I think you've been very vocal and have been banging the drum for, for privacy ethics for, for many, many years, you know, in, in some regards, it's quite a new thing for some businesses, even, you know, the largest businesses in the world have only really sort of started taking it really seriously over the last two or three years. But you've, you, obviously, it's in your core, it's perhaps what piqued your interest at the very outset of your career. Um, and um, I guess, ultimately, you know, it's great to have people like you around who really, really care. Um, I think um, something we had a chat uh, Vivian a couple of weeks ago and I'll just remind you um, and it ties in quite nicely I think with your your story um, of how you got into privacy and we were talking about the the, the current landscape i.e working from home as most people have been doing for most of this year um, something that I've become really aware of through my work over the last few weeks and months from speaking to perhaps the more you know junior or mid-level privacy pros um, it's become quite apparent in many cases that they are missing out on having uh, mentorship um, sponsors um, you know that sort of day-to-day -day ability to really you know just go and have a quick coffee with a manager or a quick chat here and there to to, to really get those insights that are really important when someone's cultivating a career and I, I do feel for these individuals and I've been sort of racking my brain about how things will develop in that way we don't want to lose some really great potential and so hopefully I'd like to shine a light on this um, over the course of time but anyway my question for you is um, at the early parts of your career were you fortunate enough do you think to have some good mentors around you and how important do you think they are well it's interesting isn't it maybe it's a bit dating um in that i didn't actually have any formal mentors in the early part of of my career at all but i think i would have benefited from them enormously um but i on reflection i would say that i had unofficial mentors um, and people i looked up to 
And again, if you ref if I reflect back, I think about a couple of people who sort of, you know, took me to one side and said, um, you know, you've got great potential here, but you could be more effective if, or, you know, have you thought about doing this instead? Um, and I, they weren't official mentors in the way that we now have setting up a mentoring program where you agree objectives with your mentor and you have a structure around it and so on and so forth. But I did have some um, unofficial mentors. And I think almost more importantly, is I did have some unofficial sponsors as well. So those were um, in the whole mostly fantastic men who were in the room where I wasn't, um, particularly at a level or two above me who could speak up to talk about what I'm doing as being important, about uh, myself as um, you know, a talent that needed to be nurtured and who could advocate for not only me as, a, as, a, as an individual and an employee, but also for the work um, that I was doing. So hugely important. Um, I think COVID-19 does impose some unique constraints on us. So in some ways, it's quite easy to get onto a Zoom. You don't have to run around to meetings. You don't have to travel. Um, you can connect digitally all the time. It does lead to um, perhaps a level of ease and communication and certainly has led to some interesting insights into people's lives. I mean, you can see I, my study has got red walls. Who would have thought? Um, I can see that you have a fascinating picture behind you. You've changed it today. What happened to the What happened to the map thing that we saw oh, yeah. the other day? Well, actually, this um, this uh, is all the way from Vietnam. Actually, this this picture. So um, when uh, when myself and my wife got married, we got married two years ago. Um, we've been together actually 15 years this year. So we left it late. We did everything back to front. We've got two children, um, and uh, we went on a long uh, honeymoon during the summer of 2018. Um, and uh, we went to Asia. And we took the children with us, and we wanted to have you know took the opportunity to show the kids a different side of the world and uh, you know different insights so where better we thought let's go to Asia so we we took them to um, we took them to Thailand um, and and to Vietnam and with this was actually purchased on a boat trip uh, that we went on and um, yeah there was loads of them anyway Amelie my daughter just fell in love with the monkey and um, in fact we had to go back we had to go backwards on a boat which wasn't normal protocol to go and get the monkey so he's come a long way and here he is you know sort of listening in um, and along with Brutus the pigeon so I was going to say, at least at least you've got one that's in picture form that isn't going to chat. But if you can hear the squeaking, I'm afraid that's Brutus. He's got views on what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, in terms of that connectivity piece, um, it, it, I think it is challenged, but, but it is essential. And particularly in the fast evolving world of privacy, when you think about why we have privacy laws and where it comes from, being able to leverage the expertise of those who've been doing it for a long time to get that context, to understand why the laws are proposed the way in which they are, why they are different between jurisdictions is really important. And you can't necessarily all of get, get all of that from book learning. Um, but one of the things that I found helped me enormously, apart from when you're just buried in your work and you don't get much of a chance to network, is to actually to join the IAPP. Now, granted, I'm a board of directors person on the IAPP, um, but I have been a faithful supporter of the IAPP um, since it started. And, and it is the professional network for privacy people. And it isn't about privacy lawyers. It's about everyone in the privacy community, whether you're compliance risk, whether you're a vendor, whether you're a customer, um, whether you're starting out or whether you're very senior. 
um, and they hold a number of events, particularly the KnowledgeNet events, um, where any IEPP member can rock up and network. Um, and those are, of course, now digital as well. So um, I, I think it say, is challenging. So sorry to interrupt <clears throat> on that note on the IEPP as well. Um, I mean, back when I decided that I wanted to focus on on privacy, you know, from an exec search perspective, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm really so grateful looking back because I, I went to the to a couple of conferences through the IAPP and everyone was very welcoming. You got a real sense of community straight away. I think things are really starting to bubble and become very exciting in the privacy world at that point and um you know and and then i've consistently gone to the conferences obviously unfortunately we couldn't this year but um uh they are they are superb so anyone listening to this who isn't involved with the iapp isn't a member have a chat with your manager you know to try and pull some strings because th- i'm sure you'll find the community want superb but the insights and the, the knowledge that you have access to is superb so um yeah. sorry to interrupt you there no, no, and it was just to say that again, as a, as a community, do leverage that, um, particularly in COVID, because there's lots of virtual communities out there as well, and you, you needn't you needn't be alone. Mm. Um, and certainly, I think connecting with your peer group, I always find the most valuable thing to do in privacy is actually to talk it out, because it can be very complex and very challenging. And at the moment, we're inundated with guidance, aren't we? So we've just got the new standard contractual clauses, as well as the guidance, two different forms of document from um, the uh, EU on SHREMS too. I mean, it's an absolute deluge at the moment. And it's, it's hard work actually working your way through all of that and then distilling what does it mean in practice? And I find actually talking it through with colleagues at other firms and internally is, is invaluable. Um, and you can sense check and, you know, more minds together actually do better work. So Absolutely. find some friends and go for it. Absolutely. Um, in terms of the, the, the privacy landscape, I, I guess it's it's matured, as we know, as, as we've discussed over the last few years. I mean, how can you give us a sense of how different it is to say, maybe not as far back as, as 2000? I don't know. I mean, it's up to you how far back you go. But even say 10 years, you know, how different is, you know, in terms of the size of the community, the interest levels? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, if I, if I do throw my mind back um, and I think about privacy events that we used to go to, there were like 30 to 50 of us. Um, if you went to the last IAPP um, conference in Washington, there were over 4,000 people there. Just incredible. I mean, that just gives you a sense of the scope and scale. Um, yeah. And I remember, that, you know, the first conference I ever went to was the one that Stuart Dresner ran. And Stuart's been doing privacy for many, many years. And, you know, privacy laws and business has been a mainstay um, and certainly has, I think, what appeals to lawyers particularly, a, a very academic focus. He has a practical focus as well, but he's also very interested in the cutting edge practical side of things. And it's, it's lovely to see privacy laws and business continuing um, in that vein. But, you know, when I started, privacy was some um, security people, some risk people, but predominantly lawyers. Um, it was something that fell to lawyers because it was like, oh, it's a privacy law. So let's get a lawyer to understand it, because let's face it, it, it doesn't seem to fit particularly well with anything else either. So let's just leave it to the lawyers. Um, and I think the the thing that has changed enormously is that with the GDPR, it's become very clear that you can't just have lawyers doing privacy. 
um, it doesn't work that way. Um, lawyers are terrific for advisory um, and also potentially for advocacy and for policies and escalations and you know, all of that lawyery things, all those lawyery things. But when it comes to operationalization, embedding privacy, creating a culture, um, I think actually other skill sets are needed. Um, and I've been very deliberate, for example, when I've been building out the team at Refinitiv, is to have lawyers and non-lawyers, because there's things that the lawyers are outstanding at, and we may as well get the lawyers to do the things that they're brilliant at. And then there's other things that our compliance and operations team can do better than anyone else. And so why not have the relevant professionals associated with that? Mm. Um, and I think that's that's quite interesting is to see how, how it has changed um, over the years and how more people have now joined um, the privacy sector and found their home in different aspects of privacy because there are so many different aspects of it. Um, and my tagline really for my team is about, um, you know, creating a privacy culture. And so what we say to the business is privacy is the new normal. And you keep saying it, you'll eventually believe it. Um, it is the new normal. There is not much that we do where we're not having to think about a privacy issue, particularly in relation to COVID-19. You know, when we first reacted to COVID-19, we set up a, an executive team to address the immediate issues of moving to a virtual operating environment. And who had a seat at the table? Privacy, straight away, mm -hmm. because of the people elements, because of the data element, because of the health element. Um, it was just so fundamentally important. So it's it's interesting to see that journey, you know, started as lawyers in a very, very small group, and we have matured enormously over time. And there's a place for all sorts of different skills um, at the privacy table. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And and certainly again from the time that I've specialized in this area, the, the the change, you know, it's been subtle as things usually are in life. But actually, if you look now compared to, you know, some of the conversations I was having five, six years ago with privacy professionals and hiring, um, you know, companies, there, there was a real disconnect or people didn't really know what they were looking for. And then then everyone started saying, we've got to have a lawyer. And then, and then you know, the non-lawyers that I was talking to were getting frustrated because they could do this job. And But I think things are settling down a bit. And I think your, your insight, your... your um, uh, you know, your way of doing things, having that blend of legal and operational is 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 the way forward. I mean, this is increasingly what businesses are, are doing. So um, I, I know um, another thing, another feather in your cap, if you like, Vivian, or something you've you've somehow managed to juggle throughout your career is that you've been quite um, uh, vocal about being a gender champion, um, uh, you know, for women. And, and, and obviously you've been president of the Women in Banking Finance for the last few years. Um, and I, I know something of interest, it's always interested me actually, um, the gender balance across um, the privacy community. How, how do you think, I mean, how's it changed, do you think? Is it the same as it was 10 years ago or have you seen a, a significant change in the, in the balance of gender within privacy? I think it's an interesting question. Has it changed? Um, I think there's always been a lot of women involved in privacy. But what's interesting is I don't think we've got the data to actually measure the change over, so to say, 10 or 15 years. Um, I think it's something that the IAPP is, is now focusing on is actually diversity and inclusion. Um, they have a, a, a specific work stream on that. In fact, they launched a, um, a group, in fact, a number of groups which are affinity related. So gender and BAME and, and other areas as well. 
um, which is, is quite interesting. But I suppose what I could do is just reflect on what I can see. And what I can see is that there have always been a lot of women in privacy. Um, maybe that's because of the nature of the subject. Um, but what we are also seeing is that there doesn't appear to be a reduction in the number of women in senior roles. So Andrea Jelenic, for example, is, is chair of the European Data Protection Board. We are lucky to have Elizabeth Denham as our UK ICO, and she is regarded internationally as being an incredible um, thought leader. Um, the previous chair of the Article 29 Working Party, as it was, was also a woman. Um, in Hong Kong, the new privacy regulator is also a woman. Um, I know privacy regulators in Africa who are women. So it's interesting to see that at the highest level of privacy um, and in some of the most important roles that shape policy, um, that is being led by women. But there are equally, obviously, a huge number of men. But it, 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 there is not an obvious minority of women that I can see, but I do think we need to consciously run the data on this mm -hmm. so that we can measure the trends. And if we do see a shift in what appears to be um, an area where there is real equality of opportunity of the sexes to excel, um, to make sure that that doesn't change going forward, because I think it's one of the things that defines privacy and makes it so comfortable and such a a collegiate environment, shall I say, um, is that there is such an excellent balance and mix of people, um, both in terms of gender and age and ethnicity um, and other measures as well. So I, I just, I, when I look around at the privacy community, it is, it's very diverse, but I'd also say it's very inclusive. It, it's, a, it's a very welcoming community. Um, and having worked in financial services, so I've straddled different sectors um, and, you know, they each have their own particular culture. And I have to say, you know, the privacy sector is one where I really enjoy working because the people are, are great. Um, and I, I think we've done a tremendous job in terms of preserving that balance, which is so important. Absolutely. So if you were talking to um, perhaps, you know, somebody in education or a fledgling privacy pro, maybe somebody who's just, um, you know, finished a degree, considering a career in privacy. By the way, privacy or privacy, I, I mix up what I say. I've noticed you like privacy. Some people say private. Where do you stand on that? <laughs> well, I think if you're from the UK, you would say privacy. And yeah. if you're from the US, you'd say privacy. So I have said privacy for many years because I worked in an American bank. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now that I'm working at Refinitiv um, and soon to be part of London Stock Exchange Group, I've suddenly had to change my, my language to privacy. So I'm glad you could pick me up on that one, actually, because now I'm doing well. I've been trying to practice privacy <laughs> rather than privacy. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, perhaps because, you know, I do, you know, like, like, you know, like yourself, I speak to people around the world and, and you know, I, I guess you're sometimes a chameleon. You, you you know adapt to who you're speaking to. So yes. it's interesting, interesting. So I'm glad I asked you that. I think that's going to be another podcast question for for future guests as well to get their take on that. Um. So so where were we? So yeah. So you're talking to somebody you know who's just starting their career or, or making the decision. Perhaps as a lawyer or non-lawyer, they want to know which route to go down, and they're considering privacy as a career. What what would you say to them at the moment about that? I would have to say, to go for it, I think it is absolutely the new vista. So if you if you think back to like 30 years, how many companies had big technology departments? 
Um, I remember when I was, uh, you know, out at work temping when I was at university, there was like two or three computers. And I remember going downstairs into the basement to actually go and input stuff on the Wang computer, um, <laughs> if you can cast your mind so far back. Um, and now one of the biggest departments for many firms is technology. And, and even if you're an SME, you don't store your stuff on paper, you store it on a laptop and you probably connect it to the cloud. So everybody is embracing technology. And even if you're doing it DIY, um, you, it's, it's, a, it's a feature of your business. And once your business reaches any size, you've got a technology department. And I do believe that that is the way that firms are going to be going in the future. Um, at the moment, large firms have privacy um, departments or individuals um, and professionals. And I think that we're going to increasingly see that SMEs need to as well, not just because there's a legal requirement to have a data protection officer, but because we all deal in data to a greater or a lesser extent. And actually, we've got to embrace the challenges and opportunities around how we use data responsibly and legally. So I think it sort of goes back to that, that point, that question you were asking um, a little bit earlier around use of data. And it's not a question of the ethical piece. Um, you know, the ethical piece isn't about whether you can, it's about whether you should. Mm. There's so much that we can do that there is the ability to do, but actually, should we do it? And that's the ethical question. So what are, what are the requirements? What, what, what is your thought process when you're thinking about what should you do? Um, so I think it's a, it's a tremendous career move, not least of all, because there are so many different aspects of privacy, as we've discussed. You can do the operational side, you can do the policy side, you can do the advocacy side, you can do the legal side, you can do the technical side. You know, there's, there's tremendous um, growth now in the operationalization of privacy, leveraging tools to do, you know, reporting and tracking and assurance and auditing and engagement and training and so on and so forth. So the opportunities are large. And then the other thing is, is I love privacy because it's so horizontal. So you can do this in the private sector. You can do this in the public sector. You can do this in large organizations. You can do this in small organizations. Mm. You can do this for organizations that sell cigarettes or that, you know, save the rainforest. Whatever, you can do it in financial services or you can do it in social media. Um, it's, it's, I think there's an opportunity for everybody. Um, and the horizontal impact means that it is exciting and it is evolving all the time. So I think if you're looking for something boring, maybe don't bother. Um, I think people used to think privacy was boring. I don't think it's boring at all. I think you've got to be pretty nimble um, and agile and inquisitive and open to change. And then I think you find yourself a fantastic career. Absolutely. Well, hopefully there's some some of the before mentioned, uh, you know, uh, areas of the population listening to this and 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 maybe you've just sold them, Vivian. I mean, I'm sold. Um, so um, is there any specific tips that you would perhaps give them at this stage as well? Um, you know, a certain route to go down or certain, you know, knowledge base to tap into or? Um, I think one of the new frontiers for privacy um, it's been tapped into a little bit but not hugely is education um, in a lot of schools we do education around cyber um, or um, safety online but i don't think that we really embraced um, privacy protections and rights um, within the educational sector and i think that that's certainly a new frontier for society to be thinking about how we bring this home and educate people 
from the earlier stages. A lot of a lot of our privacy issues arise because we've um, not paid attention to uh, the evolution of technology and uses of data and so on and so forth. And you know, as is often said, the law is catching up with practice um, and seeking to change practice. And I think increasing that awareness and sense of self-responsibility um, by individuals from the earliest stage, I think will help us as a society to better manage our privacy responsibilities and our rights and make sure that we're living in an environment where data continues to be treated responsibly in a way in which we, we want it to be. Um, I think if you're, if you're interested in privacy, um, you've got to be open and inquisitive. What's really interesting about it is that it's not just about innovation, but it's also about solving the problems of legacy issues. We've all got legacy stuff, old ways of doing things, old technology as well. So it isn't just about new and cutting edge and artificial intelligence and things like that. It's also about the day-to-day -day and the stuff that we're carrying with us um, from the past. So I think that's, a, that's an interesting area. Um, and then the other one, which I think is growing in terms of a specific area of expertise is privacy and employment law. Um, you know, it is it is quite distinct. So I think there's a whole new branch that's growing in, in that space. But if you want to be if you want to be successful in privacy, be inquisitive and be collaborative. Um, it's a team sport. Um, and I think it, there's, there's, a, there's a long way to go on this. There's, there's lots of interesting things to do. Indeed, indeed. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the times we're living through at the moment are just off the scale. As we know, the world's fast forwarded um, in rapid speed over the last few months. And, and this has brought about so many new challenges, as we know. Just looking forward, what do you think is the biggest privacy challenge on the horizon? Is there one that you can identify? I know it's been a busy week, as you said, there's been lots going on. There's new rules and regs coming in, um, but is there anything on the horizon that people should be looking out for? Um, it's interesting. I think I think it's to do with international transfers. That is the big issue that is testing us at the moment, is how do we continue to protect data when actually um, it transcends jurisdictional boundaries? So the way in which we think about our law and the way in which we think about privacy is subject to, to law. And we're always thinking in this sort of geographical box, um, but actually the way in which data is used and accessed and shared and stored and is, is tends to transcend those boundaries and how we maintain the protections for data, but still allow business to access it and for it to flow the way it needs to flow in order to be useful. Um, is I think the big frontier. And what we're seeing is an increasing amount of localization taking place, um, a view uh, that data sovereignty is the way we should be going and we should be holding data, restricting its movement, restricting its access. Um, and I query whether that is the approach we should be taking and what we should be doing is, is perhaps better managing the purposes for which data can be used rather than restricting the flow of data. Um, and the purposes piece then speaks to the concerns, doesn't it? The concerns are around misuse of data. So it isn't the fact that data is, is, is in various places. It's the fact that the purposes for which it's being used are ones that um, don't sit well with people. Um, and perhaps that will be, that's what we should be looking toward. But 
in the global world in which we live, it's going to be data transfers and exacerbated by the virtual operating environment in which we now exist, because that data isn't in the office, is it? The data is accessible by all of us at home. And it's amazing how many people have, have now chosen to move to different places and operate in an even more remote manner. And so data security is an issue, data confidentiality is also an issue. So it's all about the movement of data in my view. Okay, excellent. Um, thank you, Vivian. Um, and, you know, finally, um, I think, uh, you know, regular listeners will know I always, always end pretty much with this question. It's a bit of a, an insight and a bit of fun, but what do you enjoy most about being a Chief Privacy Officer? What's, what makes you leap out of bed and say, well, I'm going to go and have another day of this? <laughs> I think what really inspires me and what I really love about it is I have the ability to make a real difference, a real difference for the customers as a firm where I work, um, but also for society. So what we do, even at the firm, impacts society. And to be able to have the opportunity to change the world or to be part of that change in the world in which we live is a responsibility, um, but it's utterly invigorating as well. So, for example, the UK is currently consulting on the national data strategy. Well, a huge piece of that is around privacy. So to have the opportunity to contribute your thoughts and experience to how the UK is going to shape its strategy going forward is so exciting. The EU has been undergoing a similar exercise as well. So I think one of the fascinating things about privacy and, and why I love it is because, as I said, it's horizontal that touches every aspect of our lives, both personal and professional, and to have the ability to work in and to influence and to make a difference in that, you know, what, what could be more exciting? I'm doing something that is purpose-driven and that is meaningful. So that's that's why I enjoy being a CPO is because it's, it's, it's not just about what we do in our firm, it's what we do as our place in the world. Absolutely. And, and what, what more could you want, I guess, you know, um, feeling that you're making a positive impact and, and in, involved at the centre of change all the time. You've, you've certainly come a long way uh, since those early privacy days, Vivian. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for a fascinating uh, talk today. Um, I hope our listeners and, and viewers really uh, take some, some some real insight away with them. I'm sure they will. Um, so thank you, uh, listeners, viewers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share, comment, like, uh, subscribe. Um, but Vivian, um, thank you so much again. Uh, have a wonderful day and um, we will speak uh, very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.